0: Today's story comes to you from Select. Now, this is where I have reached after three days of cycling. So, I have finally left Dakar. I've had a wonderful time there, spent my time in a very different way from most cities, being able to do a lot of activities, whether that was jiu jitsu or water polo or volleyball, and hang around, hang about with a lot of expats which is not something i have done very much of on this trip but i guess it's just the point that i've got to that i really enjoyed and appreciated easy conversations and nothing too intense however it was really nice to get back on the road hopefully on route to beijing but failing that at least to india and so the last three days have taken me 300 kilometers northwards to the largest town in the north of Bangladesh, and that's called Select. And joining me on this trip was Kay. And she is a Brit who I met in Bangladesh, in Dhaka. She's working out here on a water infrastructure project. And to my surprise, when I said to her, Look, you know, you might have an opportunity to join on the bike. Would you be interested? She was interested and said, Yeah, actually, yeah, I think I'll come and negotiated some time off work. And it's been a fabulous past three days, and I want to tell you about all that has happened. But it was a little sort of reminder for me that the idea of cycling on a tandem across some new and foreign country. For the vast majority of people is something that they find a polite excuse not to do but there is a small group of people for whom it sounds like a wonderful opportunity and that it doesn't need to be sold anymore it doesn't need the hard sell the opportunity as it stands as it sounds is enough and that's something that i need to remember and remind myself that you know for, for the people who see the value of the cycle ride, they'll, they'll know that it's something worth doing. I'm looking at the wall of this place where I am staying, and there's currently a little gecko wandering its way, taking a few steps at a time towards the light in the centre of the room. I have to say, it's rather entertaining and a little distracting at the same time to watch a gecko, kind of almost like a puppy, explore the room, but from the ceiling. I do digress. And I've also got a mosquito that's trying to bite me, which is very annoying. However, there are important businesses. There's an important business at hand, and that is to tell you about the trip for the last few days. And Kay and I left at Dakar on Monday morning. It wasn't actually Monday morning. It was Tuesday morning. And I... Dakar traffic initially wasn't as bad as I thought. So Dakar has a reputation for being difficult to live in. In fact, it's been named as one of the most difficult cities in the world to live in with the most noise and highest levels of pollution. However, we made good progress out of Dakar to begin with uh, along the main highway that takes you past the airport. But then as we navigated through some of the suburbs, it really got tricky The streets kind of narrowed into a sort of one-and-a-half-lane width of road. And in that, there were tuk-tuks, there were cars, there were bicycles, there were guys on these three-wheelers with something that looked like a door just hanging off the back. There were guys transporting, I think it was their grandmother's furniture, there were like mirrors and a chest of drawers. All of this gets packed into one small street and everyone is going for it for themselves. And the the system tends to work quite well when it's just tuk-tuks. But as soon as you introduce a car into the system, then all of a sudden everything jams. It's just too big for the road. And equally, if there's some guy on a bicycle pulling something along that slow pace seizes up the entire road as well. So we were trying to navigate and overtake lots of tuk-tuks in the sort of half-second gap that there was between one tuk-tuk coming past, and then there'd be a car, and then there'd be another tuk-tuk. We were weaving our way through that, which isn't particularly pleasant at the best of times. And you've got people wandering around, You've got people kind of looking at you and shouting and saying, hey, brother, how are you? Where are you from? And here's me on the front just trying to focus on not crashing. And luckily, Kay did the PR uh, schmoozing, waving to people and saying hi and being very friendly. So we, we made a good team. But before Dakar was done with us, we hit a bit of an obstacle because the road got muddier, and it was this sort of brown, reddish, browny, thick mud that then then got waterier, and then we saw ahead that sort of about a hundred meters of the street had flooded, and we started cycling through it, and it got deeper and deeper and deeper until it went halfway up the wheels, and was covering the bags or like the bottom of the bags and getting our feet soaked. And we were just thinking, how much deeper is this going to go? And this is like one of the main streets. And all of a sudden, we're thinking we might have to swim for a bit. And this was down to just a little bit of rain the night. Oh, quite a lot of rain, to be fair, the night before. But yeah, that that was a bit of a hairy moment when we thought, are we A, going to sort of have to, you know, is the bike gonna be swallowed up in this? But also, is there any big bumps or drainage gutters by the side of the road that we can't see and we might just fall into? So that was, that was a little bit scary. Eventually, we did manage to leave Dakar. And we were on the main highway to select, and there is only the main highway on that stretch. That's the only road that you can take. And it was busy so busy. There were trucks, there were lorries, there were motorbikes, there were cars. But it was really the trucks and the buses that were the killers because, but not literally, at this point in time, because of their horns. And it's something I've talked about before and what I've struggled with in India is the horns, but they were so loud. And you'd have a bus starting to honk its horn from, like, 15 seconds back. You've got 15 seconds of loud horn honking before the bus then swerves past you with about three inches to spare, and then it's like, slots itself back into the correct side of the road just before a bus coming on the other way overtakes you. And the risks that these lorries and these buses take as routine is extraordinary. Like in the UK, you just simply wouldn't believe it. You simply wouldn't see it. You will see a bus dive in from the right-hand side of the road back onto the left-hand side at the very last second, and you'll see the whole bus sway, tilt to one side as the driver jerks across the wheel. And each time you think there's going to be a certain crash, and each time somehow they manage to avoid crashing, and usually there's a car that kind of goes slightly off the side of the road. Suffice to say, it wasn't the most relaxing stretch of road. And it was pretty pretty gritty as well. Quite a lot of dust in the air. So on the second day, we were very grateful to get off the main road and start going through some of the quieter villages in Bangladesh. Now, the route that we took was quite special because it took us through the tea lands. And for me, this is super exciting. I've never been through tea country before. Not in India, not in Bangladesh, not in anywhere in Africa. I guess the closest I got was when I cycled through the north of Turkey, along the coast of the Black Sea. And that was very much tea area, but I didn't actually cycle through any tea estates. But for the first time here in Bangladesh, it was tea estates. And they were, they were cute, these trees. They were shorter than I expected. They were, they were lower than hip height and these sort of very small little bushes that were sort of unremarkable, but for the fact they were so small, I think, and so, so low to the ground. And what was more striking to me is that. The terrain became rolling, but in the flattest way I've ever experienced. So it was like very bobbly. It was like the surface of a golf ball. And the road was constantly sort of snaking around these different little mounds, and these mounds kept on going, and each mound was covered in rows and rows of tea bushes. But actually, there was very little climbing up and down. There was gentle gradients up and gentle gradients down. But it made for much more entertaining riding and much more pleasant riding than hammering it on a main road and trying not to get hammered by the buses. And we passed through this tea country, and we passed through rural Bangladesh and Kay said something that was quite interesting that she didn't you know she was like yes this is this is rural Bangladesh but like I wouldn't really consider it rural because there's there's so many people around still and so when you compare it with what the countryside looks like in perhaps the UK or in Europe, or certainly in a place like Kazakhstan, you don't see that many people. Well, in the villages, in rural areas in Bangladesh, you are constantly, constantly passing people, whether it's on bikes or motorbikes, they're walking, they're um, chasing after an escaped water buffalo, there are little ducks that are quacking around, occasionally we saw a duck get smashed today, which is a bit sad, but, you know, the duck should have moved out of the road, I suppose. You know, why did the duck cross the road? Well, it didn't get to the other side quickly enough. One thing that was really striking as we were going through the villages is a series of new builds. Now, to set the scene, most villages are pretty poor places. The roads tend to disintegrate through the villages. You go from smooth tarmac to brown terracotta brick roads through the centre of the villages. And you'll see stores that will s- sell, like, packets and packets of crisps. They're quite kind of bright and colourful. And there might be a barber shop. You'll see a window and, a, I mean, a mirror. And we saw a lot of carpenters. We saw beds being built. We saw chairs in under construction made out of bamboo canes. There are a few... Tea shops, there are a couple of restaurants, but they're not, or cafes. That's a strong word for both, for those. It's like a guy with a couple of metal basins, one filled with rice and another filled with some sort of curry or dal. These are pretty basic places, but there was one thing that stood out as a new build. And we kept on coming across them and seeing them. And these were mosques. There were more mosques, we realized, than certainly than schools, certainly than restaurants. In fact, probably mosques were the most common public building that we saw along our journey. And these were often like very brightly colored. They were blue, they were yellow, they were green, they were quite often a blend of all these different colours they had a kind of big spouting sort of chimney almost at the top of which stood the minaret and a a loudspeaker so the call to prayer would ring out five times a day and it was interesting to reflect on why there are so many mosques and i think it must be down to a, a lot of money coming in from the gulf and Providing the money, not only for these mosques, but these madrasas. And a few times on my, in my time in Bangladesh, I've met young guys who are studying the Quran. They're studying, in fact, Arabic as well. And I was thinking a bit about this. But in if you come from a small rural place in Bangladesh, the coolest most modern most exciting place probably is the mosque and so that would I imagine be a very attractive place to to hang out to study and yeah that that was very interesting to sort of think about now all of this way through Bangladesh it's been a bit difficult when I've been by myself to communicate particularly in the rural areas because I don't speak very much Bengali and most of the guys don't speak very much English. And it is it is guys. In a village, you will see 95% plus of the people you'll see are guys, I would say. And a lot of the women were, were fully covered in, in, in burqas, in niqabs, which was quite quite interesting to see, a quite a um, conservative form of Islam in these areas, in a lot of these areas. However, One time we were looking for Shingara, and Shingara are the Bangladeshi version of samosas. They're these little parcels that are filled with spiced potato, sometimes some peanuts, and they're deep fried, and they are utterly delicious. And we stopped in the Shingara place, and we were trying to work out how to communicate. And the guy said, "mahabah," and that means hello. But it doesn't mean hello in Bengali. it means hello in Arabic. And I was like, "Ah, mahaba." And I was like, oh, mahaba." Like, oh, kefik, how are you? And the guy replied to me in Arabic. And I said, oh, so you speak Arabic to Tekelem Arabi? And he said, yes, I've worked in Dubai for seven years. And I had a business there. And now I've come back. And we ended up having a whole conversation. I should, okay, whole conversation is a bit of an overstatement. My Arabic is in the gutter and um it's pretty rudimentary by this point of neglect however we did have a conversation and it was so wonderful that it reminds you how important it is to speak the same language as someone else because the level of communication not just the communication but the connection the humanity the excitement of connecting with another person can only come through a shared language and so uh, we had a wonderful conversation with this guy. And, and he ended up joining on the bike for a bit, which was which was a lot of fun. And, but this pattern repeated itself. One evening when we were in a restaurant, which was called Matam al-Arabian, and Matam is the Arabic word for restaurant. The guy that we met, he said, oh, I spent, spent a number of years in Saudi Arabia working in Jeddah and I was selling clothes there and when the pandemic came I I had to return back to Bangladesh so there was clearly a strong strong links between Bangladesh and the Gulf states and actually from my time in Kuwait Saudi Dubai the Emirates that rings true because a lot of the guys that you will meet there who are driving taxis who are working in hotels working on various different you know, sites uh, in coffee shops they've come from bangladesh they've come from india they come from pakistan however this was the first time it was such a strong link between pakistan sorry between bangladesh and the gulf states but anyway it was very exciting to find that we could communicate with the Bangladeshis that we were meeting and that provided a lot of color and flavor as we continued on to select. We've now arrived. It's been a wonderful three days cycling with Kay and a reminder of just how wonderful it is when someone impromptu joins, giving you a whole, a whole lot more fun when you can exchange thoughts and opinions on the way i'm now looking ahead this the next story will come from india and i'm very very excited to be continuing my journey and heading towards the china border which is of course where where i am headed and that is the the very exciting part of all of this is hopefully soon i can be right on the border of china and we will see where things go from there.